0: Hey everyone, this is Cameron from Renegade Animation. If you like what we do, please make sure to give us a like and a follow and a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We are everywhere. That way, we can keep doing what we do, and that's talk about animation while having a plate of green eggs and ham.
1: And now, on with the show. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Renegade Animation on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host this evening. Joining me, as always, is the guru himself, Cameron. Howdy, howdy. And yeah, this is a pretty low-key episode. We've got reviews for the Ice Age, Scrat Tales, and the second serving of Netflix and Warner Animation's Green Eggs and Ham. But before we get going, I want to take a moment to acknowledge the passing of the beloved comedian Gilbert Gottfried. We lost him at the age of 67. He will be missed. I think the first time that everyone in my generation was introduced to him was as the voice of Iago in Aladdin. But he's had a bunch of other voice credits too. Any that stand out to you?
0: That's the thing. He didn't have as many. He was in that Thumbelina film that Don Bluth made. He was in... That one Christmas special for uh, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy as Santa Claus. Oh, yeah, that's right. And yes, I mean, most people know him as the voice of Iago from Aladdin. And even outside of that, he has a few 80s or early 90s comedies under his belt and multiple cameos and appearances elsewhere. And while he was never my favorite comedian, he was still consistently funny when given the right jokes and the right material to work with. I was watching this one clip of him on Celebrity Squares, if anybody remembers that show, and he was a riot. I just laughed my head off every time he was the person chosen. Don't have much to add to it. It was amusing that he was one of the few celebrities to stay with the Aladdin franchise through the direct-to-video films and the TV series, which I'm not complaining. That was actually kind of interesting because most of the time when, even now, when you go from movie to TV show, the cast changes and such. It's just interesting to see how he was one of the few to stick with it. And I know he was in like Problem Child as well. But yeah, going to miss him. He was a very unique
1: and distinct comedian. Absolutely. One last thing, if you've never seen the documentary Life Animated, you should definitely check that one out.
0: But for now, let's talk about two animated announcements that happened on Monday as of recording this. Our first look is the trailer for the now retitled Blazing Samurai film, Pause of Fury, The Legend of Hank. Well... I know a long time ago when we heard I think it was like in 2020 that the production was back up and running I remember you me and uh, Kat were like well I'll believe it when I see it and then just out of nowhere the trailer dropped it's essentially still the same thing to a degree that it was a Mel Brooks produced animated film That was going to be a Blazing Saddles, but animated. And instead of the Wild West, it was going to be, you know, samurai and what have you. Or like what pop culture has envisioned samurai and ninja
1: history. It's basically doing the opposite of what spaghetti westerns were in the 60s, as they were remakes of Akira Kurosawa films. This is like the samurai remake Of a classic Western.
0: At least it's coming out. I am definitely very interested to see how this film unfolds. I'm a little shocked it's heading to theaters. And when is it coming out? Like July? Oh, man.
1: (laughs) July 15th.
0: That's a lot of competition. Isn't that when uh, Minions, The Rise of Grew, and the DC superhero
1: pets coming out? Oh, my God. You're right. July just turned into a bloodbath.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's when the new summer season of anime starts
1: as well, so. (laughs) Something I like about this trailer, and even if it's not throughout the whole thing, at least, like, the first, like, 20 seconds, it has this really cool, like, pulpy comic book aesthetic to one of the flashback scenes. I kind of hope, like, the rest of the movie is as experimental with its visuals
0: I hope so, too. That was actually a nice little surprise because then when we then we got to what the actual film will look like throughout most of the runtime. And it looks fine. It's fine. I'm not going to say it looks cheap. We've seen what cheap looks like this year with that uh Russian Pinocchio film. Oh, God. That, that, you know, I'm still contemplating if we're ever actually going to talk about it or not. <laughs> <laughs> For
1: 45 million, this looks appropriately budgeted.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see how much of that went into animation and then how much of that went into the uh, celebrity voice cast because it still has Michael Sarah, Samuel Jackson, Ricky Gervais, Mel Brooks, George Akay, Gabriel Iglesias, Jamon Honsu, Michelle Yao, Kylie Kuioka, and Asif Manvi, and then Kathy Shim. And I'm not going to say it's the best trailer. It's just a confusing movie in a lot of ways because it's based on Blazing Saddles, the uh, iconic Mel Brooks comedy from 1974. And the entire point of Blazing Saddles was to demystify and take out the fantasy of what Westerns were portrayed in back during like when John Wayne was the biggest star in the world and what have you. And when Westerns were coming out left and right, as much as, you know, comic book movies are today. (laughs) And it was also like the humor was very specific because it was like specifically pointing and taking the power away from all the racist white people in the movie. So What's the angle here with Pause of Fury? Or is it like one of those spoof movies where like a uh, hot shots where it makes fun of a specific movie or something like that? Because otherwise Paws of Fury has a very basic samurai story thing. A wandering samurai walks into a village. The village is overrun by an evil tyrant and it is up to him to
1: save the day. I think the best case scenario is they're hiding all the best jokes in this trailer, partially because the people at Paramount have no idea how to market this.
0: This film was stuck in production limbo
1: for almost like half a decade. It was announced in November 2014.
0: And then, of course, the original animation studio that was making it shut down. And then Open Roads Film was going to distribute and produce it, and then they shut down. I mean, I think before they got back up and running again, but still. So I was stuck in like, well, who wants to touch it? <laughs> it looks fine. The I'm not really fond of half of the cast, mostly Ricky Gervais as a villain because his voice acting was the weakest. And it also kind of felt like his recording of his lines there's like an echo in there or like i don't know something just felt off about his dialogue in the trailer and maybe it's just a trailer thing we've seen that happen before oh yeah and yet the fart joke i get why it was there blazing saddles had one but again blazing saddles was all about taking out the fantasy and the wonder of the west and it just did that through a passive aggressive, huge fart
1: sequence in the film. <laughs> so here it's just juvenile. Again, I trust that a lot of this trailer is just the movie being taken out of context because we complain about this all the time how animated movies get like really bad marketing because they're trying to appeal to kids. Without actually knowing what kids are into, that's true. I'm willing to give it a shot,
0: like normal. But still, if you want, you only have one chance to make a first impression, and when you don't make it, you plant seeds of doubt. Or uh, in a an L.A. noir meme references. Press X for doubt. <laughs> <laughs> I'm mixed on it. I'm not going to say it's going to be the worst. We've already seen the worst. It has to be worse than that Buck Wild film to be like anything worthwhile. I'm expecting this to be pretty harmless and just more of an interesting bit of animation history than anything substantial. But who knows? We could very well see a film that actually surprises people, but we're just going to have to wait and see. Exactly. And sadly on that same day when everyone was like before they could really settle in with like oh my gosh, Pause of Fury is actually coming out. Netflix was just like dropped the load and <laughs> Namona is back up and running, now being produced and animated by DNEG and will be distributed on Netflix. In 2023.
1: I'm still in shock that this is happening.
0: It's amazing. Everyone thought the film was dead because most of the big major animation studios, when they cancel a project, they cancel it. They don't touch it. Or they may reuse aspects of it for future projects. But most of the time they stay dead. Yeah, I was extremely shocked. I first I was like, uh, it's April. Gosh darn it! Not, no, it's not April first. Oh my goodness! This is real. Netflix officially confirmed that it's real, and I'm amazed. From what I could gather, a lot of people who worked on it are actually still working on this at DNEG, even like the directors, and they're taking what was made while Blue Sky was still up and running, and they're just going to continue off of that, which cool <laughs> i think that's a very good thing they don't have to start over from scratch otherwise we might have well it's just been hearing about this next year instead and it would get like a release in 2024 2025
1: because you know animation takes a long time to produce i mean like I, I know a lot
0: of people are like well disney puts out a film every year yeah they have like three or four films like in production. And then when the first two come out, they already greenlit like four more. (laughs) So it's like multiple projects are always in production at certain levels of said production. So it's just amazing that this film was lucky enough to come back alive. (laughs) And it also has like a cast where we have like uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, Riz Ahmed and Eugene Lee Yang. It's interesting because they must've been waiting to drop the news about this because it just happens to line up a few weeks after Disney shot themselves in the foot when they were donating money to the don't say gay bill and a big like commotion and the walkouts and such that are so far like got Disney into more hot water than they were thinking or more of the CEO
1: in hot water than he was expecting. It's gotten to the point where literally nobody is happy with Chapek.
0: This just makes Disney look worse because the news came out about why Nimona was canceled because it had too many LGBT elements, which, you know, (laughs) You think after all the stories that came out about how Disney pushed back against these aspects, like with the Owl House and then their whole trend of like, oh, we got gay characters. You see that character in the background, way in the background, they're gay and it's like, okay, they got one word in. Yeah, because then we got to edit it out for overseas releases because, because. So now it's like Netflix is going to get all the the browning points and like the glory of releasing this film and Disney just looks like utter fools. It's like when Nickelodeon, when it came out that they turned down so many cartoons like Ed and Nettie and especially Adventure Time. And now Cartoon Network looked amazing and great. Well, Nickelodeon, which is kind of stuck there, like, well, <laughs> so that's what's happening here. Netflix has Nimona now; it's getting made. It's going to be on their service.
1: Mm-hmm. And the directors, Nick Bruno and Troy Quayne, are also Blue Sky alumni who worked on Fire their... Disguise. Yep, I don't think DNEG is going to be like the new Blue Sky Studios. It is cool that between this and the first of the two things we're reviewing today this is like blue sky's last stand
0: it really is it's like or like the spirit of blue sky's last stand it's just cool and now everyone's looking at like dreamworks disney and pixar like so what about me and my shadow newt and uh gigantic yeah gigantic Or that uh, one animated movie that Disney was making back in the mid 2000s. That was like both 2D and CGI. The ball's in your court. You want to revive something and make it for
1: your, for theaters. (laughs) The one that I really want to see brought back to life is the movie that DreamWorks was working on with Blumhouse, Spooky Jack.
0: Man, like that sounded cool. What happened? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) I don't think we even got an explanation for what happened to that one. It's interesting because I wonder if this will lead to like, I wonder if directors who are working at these big companies and then, you know, and then their projects got canceled, if they can take it to like Netflix or Amazon or something to get them finished or get them made. Because, you know, Disney also has that Henry Selleck stop motion film.
1: Oh yeah. The one they were working on with Pixar that just went nowhere. Yeah, even though a lot of the stuff that came out of it looked really
0: cool. Then also Pixar has that film, Mute. And who knows? Like Sometimes a project gets canceled because it's just going nowhere or they just don't know how to make it work. Sometimes that happens. But it doesn't mean that you can't come back to it. Like Maybe Edgar Wright could take Me and My Shadows from DreamWorks and give to Netflix. Or who knows, maybe DreamWorks is going to revive it now after hearing about this because it's like one of the few films that you hear that got canceled that everyone was like, oh my goodness, you really canceled this, DreamWorks? And who knows, maybe they, they can because, you know, their two films coming out this year have distinct art styles. But anyway, we're getting a little far off track. It's really cool that Nomona is brought back. And I can't wait to see it. I can't Same. wait to see like if there's a trailer for it in the near future or like a teaser. Or if there's going to be something at Annecy about this. That would really stick it in Disney's craw if they were able to spill some drama and spill some tea, as they say.
1: I would love to see whatever sort of behind-the-scenes documentary they have at Annecy.
0: Oh, that would be fun also if Netflix funded that because, you know, Turning Red got a production documentary, so that would be kind of cool. But speaking of Blue Sky, it's time to talk about the, pretty much the last thing that they made before Disney shut them down for no reason. This is
1: Ice Age Scrat Tales. Six four-minute shorts of scrat and his interactions with pretty much his adopted son yeah pretty much
0: (laughs) and i know we keep kind of hammering that in this was literally the last thing made by them they did not make that buck wild film they were kind of like holding on to these for a good while actually it was kind of interesting how long they held on to them but with all that said it was like i liked these shorts it's maddening that there's only six of them i mean like what did you think about these shorts there's not a whole
1: lot to talk about them but the most i can say about them is they're just freaking adorable i love the way they're animated i love how they're basically a tribute to classic shorts from like the golden age of animation the formula of the reluctant parent slash guardian looking out for the troublemaker kid, kind of like Mindy and Buttons from Animaniacs or, or the Roger Rabbit shorts. They're just delightful.
0: Yeah, they are. It's got a lot of that old school animation comedy dynamics, with like Scrant loves his adopted son, but he also loves that acorn. And Mother Nature just punishes him for not being there for his son. But his son, as it turns out, is also a little schemer. Calf of the things come at the expense of scraps because he's, you know, again, putting the acorn over this little baby. And sometimes it's both of them working together, like how they took care of that dodo. Oh yeah, (laughs) that was fun. Yeah, with the log. And the four minutes were definitely like the right length for these shorts because i don't think these would have been good as like a 11
1: minute like a tv show episode anywhere between like four to like six or seven minutes would have been the sweet spot for these they never overstate their welcome all of Scratch's scenes in the ice age films never had dialogue to begin with so that wasn't anything they needed to worry about anyway these just came in at just the perfect length
0: again they're just so funny i think my favorite episode was uh the where they take care of the dodo. But I think creativity wise, I really liked Nutty Reflections. That one's my
1: favorite just because of the many different varieties of, of reflections they could uh, come up with.
0: And it gets kind of creepy when they go into like the funhouse mirror side. And at first I was like, oh man, are they actually doing this? <laughs> but then again, Scrap went into space.
1: So, yeah. So at this point, anything's possible.
0: Anything goes. And I loved Nut the End, which is bittersweet to uh, see as a yeah. title. Just how they kind of replay the opening s- sequence of when Scrap meets the baby Scrap, but then it goes into like when Scrap grows to old age and then dies. And first off, the, the whole way that they were able to do that uh, dialysis machine.
1: Oh was so, yeah,
0: was was so funny. I loved the with the dodo and the caterpillar, and then he found out baby Scrat was essentially waiting for him to die so he could take the acorn. <laughs> that is so dark. <laughs> Say what you will about Ice Age and the quality of their films. We know they weren't perfect, but then again, which animation like studio is perfect? If we really want to look at it, but their Scrat sequences were. Very funny, very entertaining.
1: You can tell that's where the team had the most fun coming up with new ways to have Mother Nature torture the hell out of him.
0: Yeah, or just like, what kind of shenanigans can Scrat do? Or like how, like in, uh, I think it was Continental Drift, that Scrat was the reason why we have the continents. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, these were all very cute in, and- baby Scrat, oh my goodness could they have made a more adorable design with just the biggest eyes oh my goodness I was gonna
1: say it's it's all in the eyes they just suck you right in
0: they do it's like the most scientifically perfect cute animal design they were still able to get like a lot of that good snappy looney tunes animation down these were all just very cute I don't really have any complaints me neither. about any of them because they're so short and they get the job done and they succeed with their job and then of course they upload the actual finale to the whole Scratch saga with the acorn with giving Scratch like finally he eats the acorn instead of just trying to plant it
1: <laughs> and my favorite thing about that little short not just because Scrat finally gets his acorn but like everyone on Twitter was sharing it and getting sentimental about it. That was very interesting to see all of film Twitter united by this clip.
0: Yeah. And whether they're saying, like, oh, it's a happy ending, or some people were saying it's a little more bittersweet, which I kind of get. Like, it is a happy ending for Scrat. It is like a very joyful send off to the many talented people who made these films for blue sky but i also understand how it can be like looked at as like man this is really just maddening that disney just shut them down for really no good reason
1: and supposedly blue sky was like one of the few animation studios on the east coast which makes things even more frustrating
0: you wonder if they could ever like a lot of the founding members of blue sky if they could make a new studio or something. Cause I feel like that would be really neat.
1: Something independent specifically for people who don't want to move all the way out to LA.
0: Yeah. LA or Florida in some cases and not have to worry about outsourcing jobs as well. It is a shame. Like these shorts are great, but it is like a very tough pill to swallow that it's like, well, that's it. And now Disney's going to just milk the the IP of Blue Sky by making a ton of terrible direct-to-video-looking movies. Joy. <laughs> it's tough, but I hope the best for all the animators and the people who worked at Blue Sky. And hopefully a lot of them are still working on Nimona uh, for next year. Yeah, I mean, that's all I have to say. Just... Good job, Blue Sky. Congrats, Scrat.
1: You finally got
0: your acorn.
1: Your legacy will be remembered. Indeed. And now we move on to, honestly, one of the biggest surprises in recent memory. We are talking about Green Eggs and Ham, the animated series from Netflix and Warner Animation. I have been wanting to talk about this show ever since like season one came out back in 2019 at the time you and I were like the only ones who were really just obsessed with this show I
0: remember you and I were one of the few people who delve into the pool of Netflix adaptations because let's be real I understand why people were kind of hesitant to jump in and see where all of this unfolds because There's an extremely hit-and-miss track record for adaptations. Yes, the Chuck Jones adapted specials are great. They're classic. They're timeless for the most part. But then we move into everything else, and that's where the inconsistent quality comes up because for every, like, something that was decent, like Horton Hears a Who, Like, once again, by Blue Sky. Then you get, like, the cat in the hat. And I know a lot of people like the Ron Howard, the Grinch, but I just don't. I'm not sorry about that.
1: I'm in the same boat. Jim Carrey is great, and the makeup is, like, top shelf. But the movie is, it doesn't hold up.
0: No, it doesn't. And then Illumination had their chance at making good adaptations. and. We got the Lorax, which butchered its entire moral and message. And that's still, to me, the worst Blue Sky animated film. And then they tried again with their last Dr. Seuss-based adaptation
1: with The Grinch. I actually really like The Grinch.
0: I mean, I like it. I'm not going to say I love it, but I do like it. I wouldn't mind watching it, but (laughs) so far, no streaming services are carrying the film. So I'm just kind of like am I really going to buy it? I just can't justify it. (laughs) Just because there are just some things about that movie, that book, the heck out of me, but it's more just the illumination story execution. So I understand like everyone was kind of weary about green eggs and ham. It's like, okay, the specials were already stretching a 20 page book to its limits. And Netflix wants to make a TV series about green eggs and ham. Okay. (laughs) They actually advertised the show and then they also got like big names like Michael Douglas, Adam Devine, Keegan-Michael Key, Diane Keaton, and Lana Glazer. And yet it was one of the biggest surprises of 2019. And 2019 was a very big year for tv animation in general because that's when we got disney's amphibia that was when we got the first and second season of infinity train and then we have this and it just kind of proved that like you know 2019 was a pretty good year for animation if you judge it based on those alone oh yep and so we're just going to talk about season one first which is the like which is based off of the green eggs and ham story where there's, uh, yeah, there's a chick a a uh, special or endangered animal. You find out that Sam I Am, a very happy-go-lucky enthusiast of green eggs and ham, breaks into this zoo and steals the chick a and is planning on taking it to a different city to a collector uh, for Mr. Hervenick Z snurs, who's voiced by Eddie Izzard. Along the way, Sam meets Guy Am I, a very grumpy, disgruntled individual who wants to make it big as an inventor. But his one flaw is that his inventions keep exploding. No real reason or explanation of why they do, but they just do. <laughs> He's voiced by Michael Douglas. So after another failed invention fiasco, he bumps into Sam and they accidentally take each other's suitcases. And of course, Guy ends up with the chick-a-raft. and the two of them go on an adventure. To take the chickaraf back to its home while being chased down by NERS and his one bounty hunter, and then these two government officials who are chasing after them, who are voiced by Jeffrey Wright and Jillian Bell. It ends up being is that every episode is based on a certain sequence of the Green Age and Ham storyline. So, like the whole scene with like will you eat it with a fox. Well, they encounter a fox who is the, essentially the protector of these hens that lay green eggs. And I thought that was kind of clever. Like, I was a little worried at first with each episode being 30 minutes. Because it was like, huh, okay, so, like, would you eat it in a house with a mouse? So the mouse will be this, essentially, a uh, Les Miserables-style revolutionary character voiced by Davy Diggs which I thought was kind of humorous and I love Davy Diggs so and of course it is an actual Les Miserables reference Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I'm not just saying oh it's just like that no it's essentially that I mean like what did you think about this story approach to like how they broke up every episode to be a different section of the green eggs and ham story
1: I think this is actually the best way to adapt a Dr. Seuss story. What they did is, unlike old adaptations where they would just kind of make up a story and then kind of force the adaptation in like the back half of the movie, that's like really what How the Grinch Stole Christmas did. This takes like the skeleton of the book and fills in the gaps with a more exciting story. It expands on the book in a way that's more fun and not just Cheap pop culture references,
0: right? It's like they had a reason and a and substance behind every stop that they made.
1: And even then, they still managed to get like some really funny uh, Easter eggs for Doctor Seuss. One of my favorite jokes is um, when Guy and Sam ditch their car in the lake. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> when they ditch the car in the lake, they encounter the one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Dr. Seuss reference, which I thought that was just great. I loved, it's like, and nobody got hurt. (laughs) And then you hear crying in the background as Sam is like, yeah, nobody got hurt. (laughs) It was very cute and it was very creative with how they made these characters work. Like Sam is very happy-go-lucky, but it's more of a uh, persona than who he actually was. Because he's an awfully lonely
1: individual. That's why he has like all the the different aliases.
0: I was really impressed that season two brought that back. I thought that was very cool. And I liked Guy's arc as well, where he's more just, he feels like he's been trying his whole life to make something for himself. And yet it keeps metaphorically and literally blowing up in his face. And he's pretty much defeated because he feels like a failure. Well, it's like he doesn't want to try anything new. And then that's how they kind of fit in the whole conflict of will Guy eat green eggs and ham throughout the whole series? And they keep finding creative dishes and ways to
1: serve green eggs and ham.
0: And it's also got like a very like overarching story or theme of just like found family.
1: Which they do expand on great in season two. But another thing I like about season one is they have a really good twist towards the end of the series the first one which i thought was just almost genius was the bad guys we think for the longest time that they were working for snurs but it turns out they're actually the heroes of the story yeah i thought that was very creative and
0: it, it is funny that they're like oh no no bad guys is an acronym for Bureau of Animal Defense, Glurfsburg, Upper Yipville section. And even like the characters say like, you know, that's a terrible title. (laughs) That's another thing about this show. It has a very natural humor to it. It never felt like it was too much. Now, Sam I Am could get a little grating, but a lot of the humor was more... Like, it was reliant on the situation at hand than trying to shove in, like, pop culture references, like that Lorax film saying, like, aren't you kids doing the disco or playing that Donkey Kong? And it's like, I have so many questions about that line. And I think a lot of the humor works, though. It's very goofy. But it's well written in that regard. It's not just throw everything at the screen and hope it sticks. They worked on these jokes.
1: Even the narrator is a lot of fun. I'm always a big fan of narrators who kind of are a little bit more involved with the story. And Keegan-Michael Key, he could read the phone book and make me laugh, but he really gets to play around with the material as much as he can. And it's just a delight.
0: Also, this first season has an agenda against cantaloupe (laughs) it's one of the few reoccurring jokes throughout the first season and they're just like cantaloupe that's the garbage fruit it's always the one taking up room in the fruit salad (laughs) or they have like little gags that i think are just kind of random but random in the sense that the punchline is unexpected like when they're at the carnival and these cops are coming up and they're just yelling like <laughs> out in the open, like, we're cops, we're cops. And then they stop and they, and you think, like, oh no, they spotted Guy and Sam. And then they're just like, we're cops. And they just keep walking. <laughs> I thought that was very humorous. Or like Mick Winkle, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character, just every time where he feels like, okay, this is my last meal, my last job, I'm going to do this. And then like one more thing gets in the way and his
1: fur turns white. <laughs> oh yeah i love that too and uh Glunt,
0: the uh his assistant who's voiced by jillian bell she's definitely hyper but there's definitely more to her like she's more the extreme of the good cop bad cop situation
1: and also she's another one of those um, comedians who just anything that she does will make me laugh
0: right right nah she's great i mean the voice cast is great in general and they also have like a lot of other big people like john toturo is the goat then uh the fox is voiced by tracy morgan like we said the mouse is voiced by david diggs d bradley baker voices the chickaraf i was not shocked about that because i mean it's d bradley baker he's one of the few people you can get to do
1: animal noises yeah it's him or frank welker frank welker fred
0: Tatasciore, or uh Matthew Mercer. Throughout the whole show, you'll hear like Keith Ferguson pop up, Nika Futterman, Joe Hanna, Chris Diamantopoulos, David Kaye, Hayden Walsh, uh, who else is here? Bob Joles, Brad Abrell, David Pressman, Jill Talley, Rob Paulson appears a couple times. So does Jeff Bennett and Carrie uh, Walgren. Oh, and Billy Eichner shows up also. He's the guy who plays Captain Big Man. The, uh, the boss to uh, oh yeah and it took, well first of all I love that he's called the big man even though it's like tiny and then that whole get sequence of where he's just like I'm, I'm hanging up the phone and then just slams the phone down. Eddie Izzard is funny I think she does a great job as the villain, very pompous very arrogant obviously the reference and the inspiration is taken from you know who in terms yeah. of the design and the mannerisms, and just, I will say, I think my favorite thing about Snurs is the fact that all the animals that are mounted on the wall are not actually dead. They're just animals that just have to stand there. (laughs) And like, I love when it's just like every time Snurs would walk away, they're just like, oh gosh, this is the worst. And then Snurs comes back into frame and then they smile again. And it reminded of this joke from the first Leaser Suit Larry game where there's a moose mounted on the wall and then you go into the next room and the rest of the moose is there (laughs) and then there's also the little the b plot which is about eb who's voiced by ilana glazer and her mom michelle who's voiced by diane keaton who's you know the kind of typical overly protective mom I do love that they take the whole term of like, oh, they're just a bean counter or a pencil pusher. And they take literally. I feel a lot of people would be like, oh, I could do that. And then it's just like, dude, that would get so boring so fast. (laughs) Which is the point because, you know, they have these soul crushing jobs. And a lot of the show is about. Being adventurous. Do
1: you have any other like favorite gags that you saw throughout? I think we went all of the major ones.
0: Well, there is one when they're on the train and Guy goes into that one, uh, the model train room. Oh, yeah. And it gets really meta of where he sees a smaller model of the train that they're on. And then he sees like himself there and it turns into like that, uh, those mirror sequences where it's like just reflection upon reflection upon reflection. I thought that was very cute. And like, we talk about the show and we're thinking like, oh, it's constantly like funny and energetic. It does take time to have a few like more calm jokes and have moments for the characters to breathe and to talk and such. Like when Guy and Michelle meet each other on the train, I thought they're, Chemistry was great with Michael Douglas and Diane Keaton. And after a little bit, Adam Devine as Sam does get better.
1: The actual bond that Guy and Sam form is one of the show's strongest elements.
0: Yeah, it is. And like it does hit on some emotional moments, like Guy feeling like a failure when they were dealing with those uh, not Chickarafts. I, fo- I forgot what they were called. Um. And then, like, when Sam meets Guy's family and just how the family's, like, super successful, one of them is a literal (laughs) breadwinner. Again, these gags are so good. But, and, like, Guy feels like a failure even though his family does not see him as a failure. It. Like, it's interesting. It's that the new trope of animated shows or films, generational trauma and pressure.
1: This kind of feels like the opposite of that, where it's like they don't feel like guys is a failure at all, even though they're all, like, very successful in their own ways.
0: And it gets pretty entertaining, and it does have, like, a good climactic, like, end result for season one, where they do get the chick a away. Snurz is sent to jail. And Guy finally tries green eggs and ham. Another little gag I liked was when they were saying like, okay, we only have half of this uh, coin. So just give us a half order of everything. And it's like a literal half cup of porridge. <laughs> and it just like falls out because, you know, it's a half cup of porridge. What are you expecting? <laughs> the show is so much more creative. Like the team behind this show, like Jared Stern, And the team that made it definitely had, like, the right idea about how how to tackle this. It really wouldn't have worked.
1: Yeah. And it's... This this team, they cracked the code on how to adapt a Dr. Seuss book in a way that expanded the material without deviating from the message.
0: Right. Which is, be adventurous. Try new things. Even after watching these two seasons, I am still... Amazed and impressed with what they were able to do. This wasn't just WB had the rights, so they were going to make this and what have you. They said, We have an idea, let's do it. And while their theatrical animated stuff is maybe not panning out as much as we all hoped it would, their TV stuff is definitely getting better. Results And maybe it is just because, hey, it's a TV show. You can expand upon it a lot more. We get to season two of Green Eggs and Ham, which, yeah, it's a little weird that it's still called Green Eggs and Ham. But since it still has Sam and Guy as two of the main characters, I'll ask you a question about that as we get into season two. Instead of just trying to rehash or do something that was familiar because it worked out for the first season they loosely adapt the butter battle book which is definitely like something at first i was like huh okay that's interesting and yet you think it wouldn't work
1: but it does work now the espionage and 007 homages make a lot more sense given the inspiration for the original book how yeah. It's- clearly an anti-war story written during the cold war you got like a cold war allegory mixed with the classic 70s 007 films everything comes together and again this is the team knowing exactly how to handle the material and have fun with the episode titles which are all kind of plays on popular espionage films like the mom identity is obviously the born identity. Tinker, Taylor, mother, spy. I don't think I need to explain that one.
0: Yeah, golden <laughs> guy. Three
1: days of the
0: mom door to Yukia with love. The only mom twice.
1: Guyfall. Guy
0: <laughs> the Sam who came in from the cold. On her dukas secret service. Or the mom who loved me. Very clever, I I think that's very cute. So the plot of season 2 is that Sam thinks he knows where his mom is who you find out in season 1 abandoned him and you find out in season 2 that's because his mom Pam I Am is a spy who is trying to get this moo thing away from one country to use it on the other I mean, we'll get into that. I, if you know about the original Butter Battle book, then I think you'll understand what the Mulaka Moo represents. Yep. And uh, Pam I Am is voiced by Patricia Clarkson, and she's great. And then it's like, this is where I was a little worried about what was going to happen, because for the most part, separate Sam and Guy to have their own story arcs instead of having them together which on one hand i get it and i do think it works i think it was the right decision because what could they do together that would be substantial instead sam goes with his mom pam to get the mulakamu while guy and eb are in- They end up in Zookia. Where Guy ends up making inventions for the Zookia people. And for the Dukas, which I'm sure they mean Duchess, but you know, Dr. Seuss. She's voiced by Rita Moreno. And that was very nice. I like Rita Moreno. Same. Then we get into some of the darker aspects of the season, which is, which a lot of it is about- Pam, I am coming to terms with just the fact that she abandoned Sam, but more so with Guy and EB, because Guy ends up getting, well, for lack of a better term, brainwashed by the Zukia. I mean, let's call it what it is propaganda about Yukia and how Yukia is the worst place ever because they have their butter on their toast right side up, which, you know, the most shocking and monstrous thing you can ever think of, of course. <laughs> and while the Zukias have their butter toast side down, which, how is that supposed to work? But no, <laughs> but that's me overthinking it. <laughs> and it's all about how political propaganda can be very manipulative. And Guy is the one who essentially falls for it. Well, uh, w- Mike, what happened for E B?
1: Well, she meets a boy. Basically, their story is a riff on Romeo and Juliet, or West Side Story, where they pretty much tell the audience hey, your war is stupid and you're fighting over literally nothing.
0: Seriously, the boy's name is Luca, who's voiced by Darren Chris. It was very cool. It was a very clever way to get E.B. a little more to do in the plot than just to follow her mom around and to be the one to find out firsthand how not very different the two nations are.
1: Like, what did you like about this scene? Well, one thing I really liked was the fact that even though the characters were more split apart, it gave them room literally, but narrative wise, it gave each of the characters room to have their own agency. Like everything I like about EB in season two has a lot to do with her leading in dismantling this conflict between the two divided nations. Mm -hmm. And also Darren Chris as Luca is just one of those characters that, that just oozes cool.
0: Yeah, very much so. It's like you look at his design and it's like, uh, I don't know about this. and then
1: And then you gaze into his eyes and it all makes sense. <laughs> I thought that was very cute.
0: I was a little worried because at first it seemed like, I don't know, Guy seems to be getting the shorter end of the stick here because a lot of the first half does seem to revolve around Sam and Pam bonding again and just the complex nature of exactly the situation that they were put in. But it did lead into some very trippy sequence, animated sequences and scenes. Like that scene where uh, Pam and Sam are getting chased by the James Bond parody, Philip Trousers, who's a vain yet very not bright spy who chases after Pam.
1: I love how he's such a dunce that like every single button he has to push says the only button.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. They get into a an island area where they find out that if you go forward in time, like on one side, it's like your current day age. But you go further, and then you cross a certain point. You start getting younger the further you go that way. And I thought that was very creative. And then they had a a surprise appearance of a character named Bo, voiced by James
1: Marsden. I could have sworn that was Matthew McConaughey at first.
0: You kind of think they wanted Matthew McConaughey, but couldn't. So they got James Marsden to do a... Matthew McConaughey impression, which is very good. It's a very accurate representation of McConaughey's mannerisms and what have you. Oh, yeah. And it turns out to be one of the
1: most touching parts of the overall story. It's essentially Pam making up for lost time all of those years that she was away from home, focusing on the mission She basically took for granted the relationship she has with her son. It was
0: very touching. Like the story was able to still keep that heart that made the first season great, despite it being only 10 episodes instead of the first season's 13. But I felt like it was paced better at 10 episodes because then you were able to do everything. And plus, the first season was made during that time period where Netflix was like, every season needs to be 13 episodes.
1: I think the pacing for this season worked a lot better. I have no idea how the story would have worked if it had three more episodes. I feel like this story had just the right amount of time it needed.
0: I mean, we do deal with this with like anime sometimes or just other series that we watch like Infinity Train or... Some of the other stuff on Netflix where sometimes they may overstay their welcome or they run into that situation where it's like, it's really good for 10 episodes. And then it just drops the ball on those last two. And it's just like, well, that sucks. But they were able to make a pretty much a satisfying conclusion for everyone involved. Like if this is the last time we'll see the Green Eggs and Ham crew, but we'll have to find out about if that's the case One way or another. But it does seem
1: kind of this is it. This felt a bit the end. At least for these characters. But they
0: were able to go out on a high note. Not many stories can say that they do. Let's talk about the animation.
1: Um, Can we talk about the opening? um, Uh, Which one? For a second. Do you want to talk about both? Well, I want to talk about the. Everything about the opening. Um, The animation is a very cool callback to like. All of those 70s animated specials. And then it's also a great homage to classic James Bond themes. Just the whole package of that is perfection.
0: Right, right. No, they capture the art style of the books and the animated openings. And then, like in the first half, that's what most of the focus and tributes is going to. And then with this new season, it definitely plays up all of the parodies that you would see in in Bond and spy thriller stuff. And they do a lot of abstract visuals with the opening and within season two. I think they dive into it more in the second season than in the first. But the fact that this was all 2D animated, I mean, for the most part, I, th- I would say it's like 98% 2D animated. Well, a few things here and there are cgi which you know that's fine it's stylish cgi and sometimes you just need to
1: have that cgi to help with a few things little touch-up work i bet for most people if we didn't tell you that you probably wouldn't even notice
0: a lot of people were kind of like i don't know like in doubt of like it being pure 2d animation and then you watch the like on Twitter where people saying like, hey, here's a sequence I animated. And it's like, oh my gosh, it is literal 2D animation, the hand-drawn stuff. And I know that kind of maybe gets lost under the digital coloring, but you can tell it's 2D, like in hand-drawn by the movements of like the characters, how the, like the weight to their movements. We may have moved on from animation desks and using multi-plane cameras, but 2D is still hand-drawn. If they say that it's 2D animated, unless it's like very specific, where it's like, oh, you can tell this was made in flash or motion tweens and what have you, there's a certain look to 2D animation. I know it when I see it. Yeah, basically. And it just looks great. They were able to make the Dr. Seuss visuals and designed work which is why you should never ever do a live action dr seuss thing again i'm kind of glad that they stopped that too but they it really should have been none
1: yeah no i think animation is the perfect medium to bring seuss's aesthetic to life and the way they do it here again just kind of perfect the way the colors pop the way the characters are animated their movements their facial expressions, it's all perfect.
0: They didn't need to make a lot of sacrifices of adapting the characters to, to the animation, to this new, like a more modern take on the designs. Like no one feels out of place in terms of designs. Sometimes you, it's not often, but there are points in shows where sometimes you spot a character and it's just like, Why the heck are you designed like that? This is why design consistency is such an important thing. The visuals are just great. It all works. It's just a good show. Like, it's probably one of the more underrated shows that they make or that they have made with the Dr. Seuss brand. And it makes me curious to see what Warner Brothers is going to be doing with the upcoming films.
1: I'm very curious to see what Warner Brothers is doing with... There's the, oh, the places you'll go. And yep,
0: and for some reason, a Thing 1 and a Thing 2 movie, which I don't think that's going to happen. We'll just have to wait and see on that one. I'll eat my hat if they actually go through with a Thing 1 and Thing 2 movie. I think... The proper way to adapt a Dr. Seuss story, if they want to, is can you get more out of it as a TV series, like as a limited series, or do you have a good enough angle to make it a movie? Because even like the classic specials, again, felt like they were having to stretch out the story like with the musical sequences and what have you but even in like this musical sequences are why people love like the Grinch and whatnot but here like Green Eggs and Ham works because it has a really good story while keeping close to the original book and
1: it just rocks Yeah, I would just recommend this show to anyone because it's just great, but I would specifically recommend it to people who have been apprehensive about previous Seuss adaptations. Like, if you've been displeased with anything that's come before, then you should definitely give this show a chance. And the ironic thing is, if you don't, then that kind of defeats the purpose of the message of the original book. Because the book is all about giving new things a chance. It's just a surprise.
0: I am so impressed with what they were able to do. And it's just another one in a long line of shows that are adapting pre-existing IP. And doing something interesting with them. Like with the He-Man stuff. And while we need to catch up on it, the Camp Cretaceous stuff for Jurassic World. It's very impressive. I'm just happy that this thing was a, like as good as it was. If we don't see a, a season three, I'm curious to see what happens with the movies.
1: Same. Now, speaking of movies, obviously, if you know me, you know what I'm about to recommend next. As we're recording this, we're still in Passover. So... Naturally, I have to recommend everyone check out The Prince of Egypt. I've said many times before that this is my favorite movie of all time. One reason why I have to recommend more people see this is because next year is the film's 25th anniversary, and we still don't have a 4K remaster of this movie. Apparently there was a Blu-ray that came out a few years ago but the digital version that's now on streaming, you know, on sites like Peacock, and I think at one point it was on Hulu. The problem I have with the digital version is they, I don't know how, but they really screwed up the audio. I'm hoping if there's a high enough demand for like a better remastering of this movie, we can finally restore this to its original quality. I mean, like, I don't think, being
0: in 4K will solve anything. I've seen a lot of 4K films that just like either botched the execution or it just didn't do anything substantial. But Prince of Egypt needs a proper Blu-ray release, like a proper remastering. I'm curious of like why it just got that like bargain bin Blu-ray release despite having like a digital code and what have you. It's like the only good version to get. Well, it's probably the DVD release, like released way back then. And even then, it's just like, it's going to not be in HD. So it's a shame that it didn't get quite the love that it should.
1: That's kind of unfortunate because this movie was a hit when it came out. And while its popularity has declined, it has picked up a little bit more of a, a cult classic status. Yeah. So, yeah, Universal, if you're listening to this, please, next year, give us a proper remaster. Right, right. So,
0: for me, I'm going to recommend some anime. Big shock. Because, well, the plan is we're going to talk about anime like the whole spring season in May. Like the second half of May. I'm just going to keep going down the list of shows that I definitely recommend checking out during the season so far. The obvious one would be Spy X Family. But that was already going to be the big popular hit before it even got released. Because, you know, it's a super popular manga. It's being produced and animated by a co-collaboration between Cloverworks and WIT Studios. Oh, of course. And the first episode's great. (laughs) <laughs> you don't need me to tell you to go check out Spy X Family. But you check it out. So I had to think about a different show that I feel I could use to love. And while I've heard that the manga is popular, I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. And maybe it's just that's my circle of people I talk with that don't bring it up. But I'm going to recommend Shikamori's Not Just a Cutie. It's a romance, rom com like anime about this like high school sweethearts. The guy is like the sweetest cinnamon roll that you could ever think of. And yet he is cursed with the worst luck in the world. Like anything bad that could happen does happen to him. And Shikamori, the female lead, is cute. She's, you know, an anime girl. They make her the most, like, eye-catching character that you can think of. Of course. But the twist is, she is not just cute. She is tough and awesome individual. And she has a tougher side to her. And that's what makes her boyfriend like, just fall in love with her more. And then she's also like, I'm super tough, but I do want to come off cute for my boyfriend. And then that's where the comedy ensues. That's where the dynamics, like, come together. And, of course, with the other characters that are in, in the show, with, which is funny because the, uh, the boyfriend's best friend is voiced by the same Japanese voice actor who voices Bakugo from My Hero Academia. Oh, that's cool. So expect someone to be fiery and angry at all costs. Well, he's not even that. It's just he's a fiery individual. And then he also, uh, Shikamori's friend, who's essentially teamed up with him, and they're both essentially on the same wavelength of just like, cocky and arrogant and it's a really cute show I know a lot of people were kind of not impressed with the first episode even if a show doesn't reinvent the wheel as long as it does what it sets out to do well that's all that matters I think we put a lot of emphasis maybe too much emphasis on like I want to see something original and something I haven't seen before and that comes at the cost of that means you're going to miss over a lot of good stuff that may not cause the industry to change, but is still a really good show. And that's all you need. Sometimes you just need a really good, well-executed show.
1: Yeah. You're not always going to find a Michelin five-star restaurant in your backyard. Sometimes you like it's, perfectly okay to just have a really good pizza
0: well if you have a like a five michelin star restaurant in your backyard i want to know where you live (laughs) that's where it is at all times but yeah i recommend shikamori's not just a cutie i had a few others to choose from i was gonna go with the on, but i already recommended that even though it probably would have fit the overall episode better with found family and such
1: and I know we promised that we were going to talk about My Neighbor Totoro this week, but we figured it was better if we saved it for next week since we have a little bit of a lighter load.
0: Talk about that next time because then we will also be talking about The Bad Guys, DreamWorks' newest movie,
1: which I'm very excited to finally see. But yeah, same here. Until then, Cameron, where can everyone find you online?
0: Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View. I run my own website called camsiview.biz where I review animated shows and films from around the world called the other side of animation. I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash camsiview. If you like my work and want to support me in some way, shape, or form, you can go there.
1: And you guys can find me on Twitter at captaink42. You can check out my quick thoughts on letterbox.com slash coachk42. And you can find me on all the various Facebook groups just at my name. You can check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can also find us on Podchaser and the Banana Meter. Listen to all of our podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And last but not least, everything can be found at RenegadePopCulture.com. Need to escape? So do we. I'll do it for this episode of Renegade Animation. We will catch you guys later. Peace out.